And then you you add an element of total poor management from the previous president into the mix, and you have this set of ingredients that will lead to a massive fire. And this is what we're seeing. Barcelona is essentially on, on fire. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Sports Pro Podcast. Uh, regular listeners might notice that I am not Owen Connolly, who is still away on a well-earned holiday this week. I'm Sam Carp, Sports Pro's Depsy editor, and for this episode, I was joined by New York Times global sports reporter Tarek Panja, fresh from his return from a stint covering the Olympic Games in Japan to talk all about Lionel Messi's move to Paris Saint-Germain after spending his entire career to date at Barcelona. We talk about how it ultimately came to this, why Barca weren't able to keep their star player and why PSG was ultimately one of the few places that the best player in the world could go. Uh, we also talk about the potential impact of the move on Liga, La Liga and some of the things the saga has exposed about the way football is being run. That's enough from me though, let's hear from Tarek. You're listening to the Sports Pro Podcast. Tarek Panja, New York Times global sports reporter. Welcome back to the Sports Pro Podcast. You're, you're accumulating a fair number of caps on the pod now. Um, how, how are you doing? Nice with you, Sam. Yep, uh, about to hit the uh, double figure mark soon. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we'll get there. We'll get there eventually, I'm sure. And um, Tarek, you're just you're just back from covering the Tokyo Olympics in Japan. Um, there's been a lot of big stories going on in the world of sport. You yourself. As, as I've just said, I've just returned from covering one one of the biggest, um, but few have been bigger than Lionel Messi having to leave Barcelona after more than twenty years, six hundred and seventy two goals and thirty five trophies. Um, he held a teary press conference at the New Camp uh, before subsequently jetting off to France to join up with the likes of Neymar, Kylian Mbappe, and his his old foe Sergio Ramos at Paris Saint Germain. Um, what have you made of of the last couple of weeks or so, and and you know the, the way it's all played out? It's weird, isn't it? Is it? I think it's predictable and shocking at the same time. Um, this has been the direction of travel pre-COVID, and COVID kind of acted as an accelerant, where these state-owned oligarch teams are able to sort of carry on unmolested, while I guess the old guard. And by that, we mean the clubs that were in this pretty much the frontier of the Super League expansion project, Barcelona, Real Madrid, the, the English Premier League teams that aren't owned by Sheikhs, etc., who are pretty much unable to keep up um, and the regulators are unable to regulate. And eventually we are at a point where the direction of travel showed we were going to end up with two, maybe three teams able to outgun everyone at a time of declining commercial revenues, TV revenues, et cetera, et cetera, and accumulate all the best talent. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for me, I don't know, I'd, I'd perhaps somewhat naively, given Barcelona's well-documented financial situation, it always sort of felt that they'd somehow figure something out that Messi would end up staying at Barcelona, you know, as he did last year when he reportedly actually did have an appetite to leave the club. Um, so to th- see things change so quickly was a little bit surreal for me. To be honest, um, you know, as I mentioned, you had a situation where you had, in some people's eyes, you know, the best player to have ever played the game, certainly the best player in Barcelona's history, you know, leaving the club against his will and saying his farewells, not in front of a 
a packed out new camp but in this real sort of funeral like atmosphere i suppose where you had you know his family in front of him teammates executives and a handful of socially distanced journalists essentially trying to understand the situation um and i think we should probably also talk a little bit about how this has sort of been allowed to happen as well um because a lot, a lot of people have already rightly pointed out and as and as you sort of alluded to there you know Barcelona aren't necessarily the victims in all this you know they're the ones who have got themselves into this situation through I suppose what you could kind of call chronic incompetence in a way um you know throughout this there seemed to be what would now certainly appear to be unfounded optimism on their side that they could find a way around um the league's rules to keep Messi um which presumably gave both the player and, and fans a lot of false hope and then hovering over this the entire time has been this massive dark cloud which is Barcelona's perilous financial situation you know the mismanagement that has been going on at that club for several years now the excessive spending on players the exorbitant wages which have spiraled out of control and ultimately don't match up to the amount of money that that club's bringing in um which has kind of been hammered home by by the revenue shortfall from the pandemic Again, it is kind of boring as well what, what I'm about to say, to be honest with you. But this, this, all of this power that these clubs are able to try and exert in the transfer market and, and think they they can do whatever they like is because they have been allowed to do whatever they like for so long. Um, you have to ask where the regulators were, be it domestic level and be it a European level, for for this this to happen. Yes, there was a pandemic scenario here, but Barcelona's financial catastrophe i think predates uh, a global pandemic the pandemic just kind of showed how bad things were and, and there's i think there are a number of factors here as well and you know one one of those is you can't take teams like paris saint-germain and and manchester city and maybe chelsea out of the equation these teams for your listeners are member owned and many of many of your your your, your listeners probably know this but for those who don't they're owned by a group of members. There isn't a country or a businessman or a company that can take over Barcelona or Real Madrid. Um, they have to fund their own businesses, essentially, through their own operations. And for years, they, they earned huge money from television rights and full stadiums and sponsorships, etc. Um, and this was all off their own steam. And there's, you, know, you can look into that and say, well... Uh, some of that unfair maybe but that's a story for another day the 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 issue is this there is um this inflationary pressure that's been put on football from oligarch teams on on transfers and and wages and in order to compete and to compete at the top to to stay at preeminent forces these clubs have been pushed often to their limit um and then you you add an element of total um, poor management from the previous president, um, Bartomeu at Barcelona, into the mix. And you have this, this, this set of ingredients that will lead to a massive um, fire. And this is what we're seeing. Barcelona is essentially on, on fire. And all the, all the uh, fire engines, etc., aren't able to douse this, this, this fire down. Laporta, the new president who came in, came in like presidents do this is a popular election it's not one based on competence it's who promises the most or is likely to be elected and this guy came in talking about keeping messy etc and 
you did wonder, I wondered, how are you going to keep not just Messi, but then you're signing players at the same time of meeting extremely tight fiscal regulations of La Liga? And I will say, to credit to the credit of La Liga, they, they did say there will be no sacred cows. Caps mean caps in terms of how much you can spend. And they, they true to their word, they, they put pull Barcelona's feet to the fire here and, and, and Laporta's, this guy who promised the world. Um, and he was simply not able to do it. Uh, I've got a number of questions. One for him. He seems like, you know, he seems to be shocked at the, 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 the scale of what he inherited. But it was obvious what he was inheriting. Yet in this election campaign, not just him, the others as well, saying we're going to do X, Y, and Z, we're going to keep Messi. Ten years, he's, a, he's of course, he's going to stay. Well, he didn't. Um, and, and why was he so surprised? You know, it does scream at either... He was um, ignorant to this or knowingly ignorant to it in order to be elected, said all this stuff. And when it push came to shove, um, said said he couldn't. And then on the messy, teary farewell, yeah, it was. Um, you described it as funeral. There was, um, it felt like he was at his own wake, didn't it? People in this suits and um, tears and Messi's wife at one moment having to give him a tissue, etc. But then, you know, within two days, he's smart, beaming smile. He's on a private jet. He's at Paris saying he feels extremely comfortable. And I think, you know, we are in the world of theatre here as well. This is an entertainment business. And, and they provided it both in, in the kind of um, sadness that we saw, plus the, the exuberance of, of thousands of people waiting for a jet plane to land and, and all the rest of it. It, it. it is a circus. And I'm sure, he'll you know, we move on. Um, but but yeah, it it's really shown up the, the sport and the lack of governance within it for for what it is and what it has been for years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's interesting going back to Laporta to see this week how his kind of his tune has changed fairly, fairly significantly from those early promises you say he was making to yesterday. Um, I think it was yesterday his press conference in which he he blamed his predecessor Bartomeu's regime for what he described as a terrible inheritance. Um, he said the club is now 1.35 billion euros in debts. Uh, I think he said that salaries represent something like 103 percent of total income, which you know even even if they'd kept Messi would be up at about 110 percent, uh, which kind of you know so puts paid to that theory that a lot of people had about, you know, well, Lionel should go and play for free. He's got all this money already, which was quite frankly an absurd theory in the first place. But, you know, it's worth saying because a lot of people kind of did think that that was kind of a quick fix to this problem. Um, I want to also pick up on what you were saying a little bit about, you know, credit to La Liga um, in the sense they did enforce these these regulations that they have. Um, And it also felt a lot like there was kind of some attempted bargaining going on throughout this on both sides or kind of a little bit of a, PR battle playing out. Uh, you know, I think back to when Barcelona first announced that they weren't going to, going to be able to keep Messi. Um, it was a very sort of, it was, I think it was like three paragraphs, the statement which they issued, um, sort of, you know, pretty underwhelming for a, for a player that's been there for as long as he has and has, has won as much as he has. Um, and the statement seemed quite pointed in that they were saying, you know, Messi wants to stay, we as Barcelona want to keep him. Um, but we can't because of, you know, what they described as financial and structural obstacles because of these illegal uh, regulations on pay- player registration. Um, and then on the other side of that, at the same time, you had a story which I believe that you broke, actually, Tarek, um, about this proposed 2.7 billion euro investment deal between La Liga and private equity firm CVC Capital Partners, um, who obviously in return for their investment are, well, seemingly now after getting approval from 38 clubs are, are going to be getting a, 
a share in this new commercial venture and a share of future television revenue. Um, you know, a lot of people obviously saw that proposed deal as, you know, a way of La Liga essentially offering Barcelona the funds to keep their star their star player if if they were to, you know, I suppose sacrifice a little bit of their future earnings and, and sign up to this deal with CVC, which obviously they and Real Madrid have since come out and strongly oppose. Uh, what did you kind of make of the sort of sparring that was going on there and, and the bargaining that was going on between Barcelona and the Liga and, you know, essentially trying to blame the other for, for what was going on? I think it's typical of, of Spanish football as it is now. There's this La Liga versus particularly Real Madrid. And then I think with Laporta, he's, he's hitched his wagon to Florentino Perez at Real Madrid and they're, they're, they're opposed. But, but just before we get into that, one thing that struck me that was interesting is Barcelona also signed all these other players. To me, that seems like a choice. Messi, whatever they were going to pay him, the idea that they could not register any new players is not true, right? So we've seen Depay, Eric Garcia, um, maybe a couple of others that have been registered in order to meet this financial regulation. So they've managed to do it. To me, that says there is a choice on the part of Laporta and, 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 and the people who run Barcelona. So for all the tears and all the sadness, they have chosen a path that they wanted to go down and that did not include Lionel Messi. Perhaps it could have. I think no one wanted to talk about that, least of all these people saying, you know, we had a choice. I think they're saying, no, La Liga said we couldn't do it. And and it just couldn't, we just couldn't make it work. Now, we've had, you know, however many millions and thousands of words written and spoken about this from the actors involved. But But I still, after all of this time, find it hard to believe that it could not have worked out some way. Now we get to the to the CVC situation. As far as Barcelona were concerned, they were being blackmailed um, by, by Tebas and La Liga to accept a deal which they believe was not in their interest. And Real Madrid would say the same. Athletic Bilbao and I think Real Oviedo, uh, Division 2 team, have said the same. So that and you could you could make that point. Maybe Messi is collateral damage in this in this situation. Let's not also forget he's thirty four, and as as good as he he has been and as amazing um, he's been for Barcelona's past. Maybe just maybe they don't see him really as a part of their future on the field. It's one of these yeah. things that you're not allowed to talk about, but but that could be a, a factor. So why not use the fig leaf of this whole CVC blackmail thing as as the reason for this? Because, like I said, they did sign these other players while meeting um, requirements. Um, and the deal itself, I can understand why they would say it's not a good deal. It's, there's, there's Barcelona, like I said, is a member-owned team and Real Madrid is a, a member-owned Athletic Bilbao as well. It's, it's interesting that it's these teams that have said no because there isn't an owner there. So there isn't someone who's going to get a load of cash that they can cash in on. Say something like Valencia, owned by Peter Lim in Singapore, the, the deal's quite good because it's giving them pretty much uh, 0% interest for, for a very low level of interest, this this amount of money, that's worth more than the club. So as a, as a private investor, it's, it's free cash. Of course, they're going to take it. But for these teams, looking down the line, maybe this is a 50-year deal. There aren't 
many private owners. They're certainly not going to live that long um, to, to, to own their football club. Maybe they'll give it to um, the generations that follow them, etc. But But no one really thinks that way. They think very short term. In the short term, yeah, you get a load of cash. In the long term, it's um, for for these teams and for for La Liga, it's not a great deal, is it? I mean, CVC stand to make a huge amount of money out of out of this. La Liga rights, if they stay the same, I think they would get six to seven billion on on their on their investment and upsides even more. Um, I think it ha- the, the, the the TV rights have to lose something like more than fifty percent in in value for for. Um, CVC to lose any money so you know it, it's almost like um, a no-brainer f- for them and as far as what they're bringing to La Liga beyond cash right now uh, I struggle to see what and everyone said well you know they worked in Formula One and they did MotoGP etc you think yeah wow so what you know they, they were in, in, in invested in those businesses one at a time when those businesses were completely very immature certainly in terms of how they were run Bernie Ecclestone on his own they were buying kind of opportunity and it was a time of, of, of rising um, television revenues because the, the market was going up at that time. What expertise is CBC bringing um, to the table? I, I, I struggle to see that much value uh, there. And also there wasn't a tender here. So there's, there's people outside saying, well, hang on a minute, are we sure this is the right price? Why, why are they so keen to do a deal with just CVC, um, I, I'm not sure this is a great deal for for La Liga. There'll, there'll be other reasons why, you know, Mr. Tebas and La Liga might want to do it, but you know, I, I'm yet to be, um, you know, I'm yet to see the, the upside here, to see the full benefits of this. Convinced of this yeah. deal. Yeah, for sure. And I want to sort of go back to just sort of loop back around to Messi quickly and just talk about, I suppose, obviously where he's ended up, which you which we sort of alluded to earlier, he's obviously gone to Paris Saint-Germain. And I think, you know, once it became apparent that he was going to leave Barcelona, there were only a few places that, well, a few places might be too many, but um, that he was actually going to be able to go, right? Um, as I said, I think the summer has shown that there are a select few clubs who can who can continue to spend vast sums of money during a pandemic, um, most of them residing here in England. You know, Manchester City, obviously backed by a member of Abu Dhabi's ruling family, um, who have spent £100 million on um, Jack Grealish and might be about to spend a similar on, on Harry Kane. Um, Chelsea, whose owner, as we know, is Roman Abramovich, uh, spending €115 million Euros to bring back a player that they sold several years ago in the form of Romelu Lukaku. And then, you know, PSG, obviously, as you said, essentially funded by Qatar. Um, they've already made a number of other marquee signings on, you know, these free transfers um, before Messi, before Messi became available. Um, and, you know, once he did become available, it really did feel like that was only going to be one destination for him. Um, you know, I use I use that term free transfer before, and I think a lot of people have poked fun at the fact that that's what this is being referred to, and that you know people have been talking about what great business PSG PSG have done this summer in bringing in the likes of likes of Ramos, um, Donnarumma. Uh, I forget who the other major one was. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, all these wonderful players on these on these free transfers. There you go. Yeah, Wijnaldum on these on these on these fabled free transfers. When in reality, you know, there is nothing free about these transfers, and I'm not sure anything can really be referred. To, any signing can be referred to as free anymore. Um, you know, the numbers around the Messi deal include a reported signing on fee of 25 million euros. Um, 
a two-year contract worth of reported £53.8 million a year. There will be a lot of people looking at this thinking, all right, well, well done to La Liga for enforcing its own financial regulations. Um, but how is it that we you know, seemingly now have some teams who can essentially do as they please and have this sort of money is no object approach? Um, there have been reports this week that UEFA is looking at is, is basically readying new financial fair play rules. And I think it's been made fairly obvious in the last two weeks that the current ones are pretty ineffective and unenforceable, especially given, you know, coming out of the pandemic. It's a, it's, it's kind of a time for, for clubs like PSG to pounce, isn't it? Yeah, and I think history has shown that UEFA is toothless, to be honest, whatever, whatever regulation has, has been there. Because in, in the 11 years or so that financial fair play has existed in its um, current form, they have not really sanctioned clubs to the point where it really hurts them, um, certainly when it comes to big ones. Teams in, in smaller markets, yes, you know, maybe Turkey or somewhere in Central Europe, been banished or et cetera, but it doesn't really make the headlines and it it, it doesn't cause UA for any kind of angst. But here, particularly with PSG, Man City, we, we, we could talk about another day, but particularly with PSG, you've got a very curious situation here because that state of Qatar that owns PSG also owns BN Media Group, which has um, you know, committed billions into UEFA's coffers as a TV company. Um, and the same president of the um, football team is the chairman of the television company, and Nasser Al-Khalifi, who also sits on the board now of UEFA. And it's so interwoven and intertwined. I just don't think that they, there is any will to really punish um Paris Saint-Germain in the past where they have looked to do it, where the independent regulators have come to um, believe PSG have breached the regulations. Who came to the rescue to save them? It was actually the UEFA administration. So I think they know that they've been through this before and they can get away with it and that they will. And that, you know, for the next weeks, et cetera, we're going to figure out they're going to, there's going to be a public relations onslaught, no doubt to say, well, no, we are within the rules because look, this has happened and that's happened and that sponsorship pays for this. And we've sold that many shirts, et cetera. But, but reality in terms of regulation, the regulators have proven themselves to be ineffective, absolutely toothless. And, and, and in, in, in this moment of crisis, when, where the, where the transfer market really is frozen, because of the, the impact of the pandemic and the losses teams have suffered from their organic football revenue, these teams that are artificially funded can 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 make hay. And to be honest, it's completely logical and rational behaviour. You would if you could, and they are doing what they are doing. Yeah, well, I think when I think it was at Messi's press conference, or even in a an interview shortly after, Al Khalifi sort of spoke with the confidence of a man that knows um, that you know he's not going to be pulled up on this. He said. Uh, he said, we will always follow these regulations. Before we do anything, we check with our commercial, financial and legal people. Uh, we have the capacity to sign him. If we sign Leo, it's because we can. Otherwise, we would not have done it. Um, yeah, it, 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 to me, that that did sound like a, the, the confidence of a man who knows full well that he can get away with these sort of things and can keep spending in this way until, you know, until someone does step in. I think a lot of people probably won't realize maybe – I'm sure some of our listeners will, but there will be a lot of people who don't realise, as you kind of pointed out there, that he is helming so many different things. He wears all these different hats, and you know, I think it's, I think it's a fairly sensible question to ask how one individual is able to wield so much power across across football at the moment. Yeah, the, the answer is football. It is, you know, it is a, it's very, it's a very poorly run industry, 
and maybe um, maybe there is now, I believe there always has been for the last 15, 20 years, a requirement for, for outside um, intervention or, or oversight. Who that is, what, that, what form that takes, is, is um, you know, a, a good question because it is a kind of supranational uh, body, UEFA and FIFA as well at an international level, and who, who, who gets to do that is, is an interesting question. The, the, other, the other point, and which is, should be glaringly obvious, is that these organizations, I will say use UEFA and FIFA again, are, are, are clearly not fit for purpose in the time we live in because let's break this down a little bit. UEFA runs an extremely important, successful competition in, in the European Champions League and sells billions of dollars worth of television rights and sponsorship rights for this competition, which is supposed to be the best footballing club competition in the world. In order to run the best competition in the world, you will want the best actors, the best teams inside that competition. The other hat UEFA has is a, a governing body responsible for discipline and for regu- regulatory issues. These two things are completely in collision with each other because on the one hand, the regulator is there to enforce the rules. And if you take it to the end point and the rules have been breached and they need to be enforced, you may punish the teams you want to sell as the best in the world by excluding them from this competition. The event company will not want the regulator to do this. So then we end up with these various compromises, etc. And it makes it totally unfair. You don't see banks regulating themselves. You may have seen in the past and you've seen why you'll, you wouldn't see major industries having this self-regulation. Self-regulation um, leads to, to fudginess, to uh, you know, opacity, all sorts of wrong things, wrong, wrong outcomes. And this is where we are in football. There's one reason why we had the Super League effort, to be honest, because maybe certain clubs saw the fact that, you know, it's self-interest, of course, but we can't compete because the regulators are not regulating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And there's, there's obviously a sort of, there's a geopolitical factor at play here too that, that we shouldn't ignore, as, you know, as we've sort of mentioned, Al Khalifi heads up BN, he heads up Qatar Sports Investments. Qatar is, of course, the host of next year's FIFA World Cup. Um I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure a lot of people have already seen Messi and his new teammates appearing in these Visit Qatar adverts across social media. Um, so it's really it's, it's impossible not to make that link with this deal too. Um, you know, as I say, this this signing isn't only good for PSG, but in the build up for build up to 2022, I think being able to associate the image of someone like Messi with Qatar is obviously going to be a huge benefit to the country. So as a result, it feels like it's going to be incredibly difficult to sort of separate the sort of purely footballing side of this move from the idea that Messi is kind of becoming just sort of another pawn in, in golf geopolitics and and the projection of kind of soft power that, you know, Qatar has been engaging in for for quite a while in sport now. Yeah, I'd say completely. And, you know, what better prize than the best footballer in the world? This, This is a, this is a dream come true for the marketing men for that world cup. And, you know, they have him dancing to their tune ahead of this World Cup, as you said. They put out a um, an image on, on social media of Messi and the other four big names they signed this summer, telling everyone to visit Qatar. And, you know, why wouldn't they? This is, again, all very rational. 
what yeah. Qatar and what PSG are doing is what they can get away with and what they would do. And, you know, if you were them, you would do it too. What we're lacking is any sort of semblance of regulation, be it in France or be it at the European level, to, to have um, a level playing field, if that's what we want. Maybe people want bite-sized clips of uh, all the best football players being in the same team, doing tricks, scoring 15 goals a game and, and scoring, you know, may, maybe, you know, that's what we want. But if if there was a need for sporting um, competitive balance, then, you know, it's glaring obvious there isn't one at the moment and it's getting worse. The onus is on UEFA, who have been, um, I would say, um, surprisingly silent this time. Because if I remember back to 2018, when Mbappe and Neymar signed for um, Paris Saint-Germain in the same summer, I remember um, Alexander Seferin, the UEFA president, saying, oh, yep, we're going to be doing an investigation. We're going to look into this. We haven't really heard from the man at all here uh, at this moment. That, that maybe speaks to the very close relationship he has since Super League developed with Nasser Al-Khalifi, because PSG famously did not join that project. Maybe they knew something that we don't know, but they, 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 they have studiously avoided being in the Super League, being linked to it, being sanctioned for it, and have been the ultimate winners of this, and Nasser being the ultimate beneficiary of, of his position. Um, winning these appointments to all these places and being very close uh, ally of the UEFA president. So, you know, almost football's also got this weird loyalty and personality cult there as well, um, where, you know, Seferin does love these personal relationships. It came to bite him with Agnelli, and now he's got another one with with, with um, Nasser al-Khalifi, and you're not going to screw your friend over, maybe. And is this the way football should be run on these sort of personal alliances? I would, I would argue um, maybe not. But who's looking? Yeah, who's yeah. checking? There isn't anyone out there look, doing anything. I think that, to go back on something you said earlier, it's time for the European Union to take sport and football maybe more seriously because for better or for worse, it's, it's funny for people who don't like sport to see millions of people being exercised so much that they can't sleep and they march in the street and they're angry about stuff. But if it does move people to that level, maybe it's time for, for, for regulators to take this seriously. I don't know about you, but there was something about this signing that felt a bit different to some of the huge signings that have happened in the past. I think, I, you know, I sort of think back to some of the ones, even when I was kind of growing up as a child, and that stick out in my mind. You know, Alan Shearer getting unveiled at St James's Park, um, even Cristiano Ronaldo at the Bernabeu. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of other examples, but you know, those were sort of big transfers that felt like a bit of a novelty, a bit of a moment in time. Um, and as you sort of mentioned, I suppose there are people that still have an appetite for that. Um, there are people who like seeing the biggest names in football being traded for incomprehensible amounts of money and there's something there is something obviously intriguing about that but with Messi arriving at PSG there was just something about it that to me anyway didn't didn't feel quite right um, it feels like there's obviously as we've kind of said more than a little bit of vanity to this signing and especially in the sense you know do PSG need Messi to win Liga? No. Do they need him to win a Champions League? Uh, I think given the quality of their squad already and, you know, as you've alluded to, given his age, that's probably debatable as well. Um, so, you know, there's quite easily an argument that PSG didn't need to sign Messi from a footballing perspective, which for me just exposes that this is about a lot more than football. Mm, I, think, I, think, I think what you're feeling is the inevitability of it all as well. That might be the... The other, the other feeling you're, you're maybe trying to express, and then the the other element to this is because there was they didn't want Manchester City to get him. That's the other thing. There is um, again, it becomes really personal and really kind of weird in this sense that there is 
an animus between the, the Abu Dhabi run football team and the Qatar run football team, which which um, um, extends well beyond the football field and the football industry. You can go back to the Gulf blockade, the 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 uh, saber rattling, the angry words exchanged uh, between these two regimes. And these regimes, you've got to remember, are tiny. These aren't these are almost artificial countries in the sense they're new. Um, and and they, these are family businesses. There's a country which is also a family, and there's another family, and they've fallen out, and they don't like each other. So they want to put one in the eye over 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 the other one. And football happens to be one of the theatres where this happens. And you know, privately, the PSG people are over the moon that we got him and you haven't got him. You know, cock a snook at this these guys and say, well, look, they spent a hundred million on Grealish. You know, who the hell is Grealish? Um, and we get we get messy. The reality is maybe from a footballing point of view, Grealish at the eighties might might work out to be more 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 useful in the in the long term. But again, he's not the football icon that Messi is, and, and Qatar has him, and UAE doesn't. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And talking about sort of stuff beyond the football field, it's always funny when you see a signing like this happen. You immediately get those people saying that the club's going to make their money back in shirt sales or whatever. I think the I think the uh, person who did it this time was Piers Morgan. And, you know, it's usually safe when Piers Morgan tweets something. It's usually safe to assume that probably quite the opposite is accurate. Um, and, you know, that, that idea has been debunked in any case. But, you know, we'd be wrong to say that Messi's arrival won't be commercially beneficial to PSG, as we've kind of pointed out already. Um, it also interested me that, you know, in the wake of his arrival, uh, Vincent Lebrun, the president of France's LFP, who obviously oversee Liga, he was quite keen to release a statement of his own. Um, uh, he basically referred to Messi's arrival as a, quote, global event and historic day for French football. Um, presumably, he's hoping that Messi at PSG is going to give French football a much needed shot in the arm. You know, as we know, French football's struggling financially not only because of the pandemic but also because of its collapsed television deal with media pro um i mean in the immediate term presumably it will be a bit of a bonus for amazon that they've now got um the best player in the world on on their channels as they as they make their debut as a domestic broadcaster this season um but you know is this is this going to be the big boost for French football that Lebrun seems to seems to think it might be because you know if anything as you've said already it makes what was already a a, a one essentially a one team chance of winning the league even more likely to happen. I know that Lille won it last year, but they've already had to undergo a fire sale this summer. Um, on the commercial side, Liga's domestic deals are locked in until twenty twenty four. They just signed another one in the UK, so you'd have to assume that their overseas deals are also kind of on that similar cycle. Um, and you know, by the time those are next negotiated, you have have to imagine that Messi will either be nearing retirement or might have decided to pack his bags and jet off to maybe an MLS club or something like that. So, you know, what what do you read into sort of LeBrun's welcoming for Messi and kind of you know hailing it as kind of a game changing moment for for French football? I think it's a game changing moment for Amazon's already cheap deal. There's, yeah. there's one winner here, and it's Amazon. They paid buttons for for these TV rights, eighty percent of the rights at, for less than. Um, uh, Canal and Bean were stuck with a 20%, and now you have the best player and having already signed that contract. So you can imagine their subs will, will increase in a, in, a, in a pretty significant way because they have Messi. Um, as for League One, yes, they'll have more attention, but the rights have already been sold. 
So unless he's going to magic up some new rights, I, I don't see how it's beneficial to to um, uh, Liga's finances. Um, now the stadiums are open again. Maybe some of the other teams in the league, when, when Paris Saint-Germain come into town, they'll be able to sell more expensive tickets, perhaps. Um, but again, it's, it's 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 not particularly significant. There'll be, um, at least in the short term, this kind of um, random interest, you know, not people of necessary followers of, of, of uh, French football or in football, to see um, Messi wearing a different shirt and be in this um, all-star team. But but after a while, with everything, the novelty will will, will wear off um, because this should be a procession like it has been in most seasons since the Qataris bought um, uh, Paris Saint-Germain in France. And then I guess, you know, the UEFA Champions League is the other theatre where this will this will be of interest to people and see how they how they perform. Again, a lot of those rights are are locked in as well. Perhaps the one to look at is PSG's commercial rights. But again, those rights are very confusing because most of their sponsors are have been historically a Qatari companies. Now maybe they'll be able to to sell those at commercially sensible prices um but yeah i i'm i'm um attention yes eyeballs yes but in terms of new revenue a lot of this is locked in as you said so where, where are we seeing this someone else is going to make some money perhaps messi certainly will yeah yeah and what about um I suppose what about the league that messi's leaving behind then because you know i guess the, the undercurrent following all of this along is that um, you know, Messi that La Liga is going to be without Messi for the first time in what sixteen years, I think it is, um, since he made his debut, uh, and that was kind of the chip that Barcelona felt they held all along in the sense that you know you don't let us re-sign Messi, you lose ultimately your biggest your biggest um, star, your biggest draw. Uh, we've said credit to them for enforcing their financial regulations, um, and I think in recent years, you know, La Liga has establish itself at least from a revenue perspective as, as kind of second to the Premier League in Europe and I'm sure that's something that they're going to want to uh, maintain and something that they're quite proud of so you know what what impact do we think is departure is going to have on on that competition I guess perhaps perhaps the first sort of tangible indication will be the outcome of their next their next domestic rights deal which I believe is uh, the current one's expiring at the end of next season. So um, I suppose we might find out a little bit sooner than we would with Liga, the impact that it's going to have. Yeah, I think that's one to look at. But also, um, what Messi left, Messi leaving or not leaving, there's also been a flattening of domestic TV rights across the board, right? Um, pandemic accelerate that may be, but, but there is. So add that, plus not just Messi. In the last few years, Liga, um, La Liga has lost Neymar, who was supposed to be the heir to Messi. He just didn't have the patience for it. You know, can't blame him, maybe. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo has left Real Madrid. Zidane is no longer the coach of Real Madrid either. Um, Pep's gone. Like a lot of the kind of star billing that we had at the turn of the century, Messi feels like the end of an era. Um, if you look at the squads at, at the two big teams, Real Madrid and, and, and Barcelona, the, the star power isn't there. However, you know, from a domestic point of view. I I I don't I don't see the Messi departure because that you are the fans of Real Madrid and Barcelona you will watch those teams I think I think that's the big misnomer of of domestic TV sales I, I think they follow the team not the players because these are 
kind of to use that phrase that is, is legacy fans you know people who are football fans come rain or shine and fans of Real Madrid and Barcelona I don't think you're going to get rubberneckers domestically whatever the price is I think Messi or not that's feels kind of priced in I think the overseas element the commercial element of sponsorship for the league etc driven by interest outside of Spain I think that's one to keep an eye on and I think the lack of star billing might hurt it in in that respect Messi being the the number one um, element to that but not the only one I want to ask you know where this sort of where does this leave everything now what you know what does this sort of mean for for the business of football moving forward you know I don't don't want to get too philosophical about it but you know as, as we've sort of said Messi's move to Paris has seemed to expose quite a few issues that do exist within the game, um, you know. As, as we've as we've said, it's kind of exposed the fact that there is this mismanagement going on at some of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, if we didn't know it already, it's exposed the fact that there are now these two or three super clubs who can simply afford things that others can't, and they're kind of they're put, they're starting to pull away now as well. Um, and it's also maybe exposed that you know as you've said, some of the regulations currently in place to curb that spending just simply aren't working. Um, you know, I feel like we've, we've spent the last 30 minutes or so painting a relatively bleak picture about what this all means. But, you know, can we take any positives? You know, what what what, what can we learn from all this? What do you think? I think uh, it, it calls for decisive and, and, and almost creative thinking from the leaders of, of football, particularly at UEFA level, which we hitherto have not seen. Um, for whatever reason, these these people have to be smarter and and a bit more um, ballsy with with whatever it is that they they want to do, because they've they've allowed things to kind of get to this point by being a little bit um, wishy washy in terms of what they're saying and what they're doing and 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 um, uh, opacity in the game. This to me calls for clear, transparent rulemaking and and, and enforcing these regulations um and and if not feels like we've reached a point in time and i think super league was a good moment for for the outside bodies and i mentioned this earlier as well to say look football you can't get a grip of yourself we might have to intervene here i think we might have reached that moment whether if there there feels like there might be a will and there's a very short window to do this because the year ahead is the one of the most interesting, for me, the most important year maybe in the history of football, because there is going to be this mother of battles for the international match calendar between FIFA, UEFA and national leagues. This is the moment to shape the next 15 to 20 years of the world's most popular sport. And this is where we are. So to close... Maybe the Messi transfer is the end of that point as we head into this big battle. Let's see what they come up with. Well, there you have it. It's quite a note to end on, Tarek. It's perfect, I think. And uh, yeah, I think that'll just about do it for this week's pod. Um, Tarek, great to get your insights as always. Thanks. Thanks so much again for being so generous with your time. Thanks for inviting me, Sam. Really enjoyed that. Cheers. Perfect. And uh, thank you also to everyone who's got this far and has listened along. Uh, We'll catch you on the next episode of the Sports Pro Podcast. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon.